Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3 is where we'll begin this period of our study. 1 Peter 3. It's good to see you this morning. We have a number of visitors with us, as has already been mentioned. Thank you for being here. We're glad that you're here. And uh, anything we can do to help you know the Bible better or know God's will for your life better, we'd love to do that. We'd love to get to know you better, and uh, we'd love to help you in any way we can. So thank you so much for being here this morning. I want to say something before um, I get started. I have just been thinking about this is that time of year uh, where uh, I don't know if those who don't have kids at home are really thinking about it, uh, but school is winding down. And we have a couple of seniors here uh, in our group, uh, Perry and Will, uh, will be graduating, I guess, I don't know if it's this week or last week or when, but around this time. And uh, so I just wanted to encourage all of us to encourage them and keep them in our prayers and also encourage their parents. Uh, because we have, uh, we have one family that uh, the nest is getting empty, and we have another family that's going through this for the first time. And so it's just a, a good thing to be thinking about and praying about. Uh, proud of those young people and wish them the best in the future and uh, hope that the foundation that they've learned here with us will continue with them as they go forward in life and enter a new stage. Just thinking about them, and I hope you will be too, uh, over this time of transition for them. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8 is where I want to begin. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8, it says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter quotes here from the Old Testament. He says, if you want to see life and see good days, then in verse 11 he says, let him seek peace and pursue it. I want to take a few minutes this morning and remind you that peace is hard work. Our nation works hard to keep peace. Uh, we've seen that this week. If you paid any attention to the news this week and the conflict that's going on you know, between Israel and Palestine, and every president, it seems, gets his shot to try to make peace in the Middle East. And yet that continues to be an ongoing effort, hard work. From time to time, our nation will send troops into certain other nations just for the purpose of keeping the peace. When I remember when I was growing up, we did this in Somalia, we did this in Bosnia, we did this in Albania, we did this in Iraq. We go to different places, huge amounts of money and manpower are spent just to keep the peace. And it reminds us that peace is hard work. And peace is hard work here at home. You look around our nation and you have all kinds of money and effort and energy spent on keeping the peace. Our police officers keep the peace. We have labor management disputes that are about keeping peace in the workplace. We have all kinds of civil lawsuits and a whole court system that is intended to help us keep peace. Millions of people employed, billions of dollars spent just to keep peace. And it reminds us that peace is hard work. Now, we know this. If you are married, you know that peace is hard work. That is, you have two people who have come together from wildly different backgrounds, have different expectations for the marriage, different views about what being married is going to be like, different home lives and different examples they've seen of what a marriage is. And you throw them together and you say, live every day together 
stay together in the same house, eat at the same table, and what's going to happen? Well, there will be conflict. And so it is natural. It is easy to be at conflict, but peace, peace is hard work. Peace is hard work when we talk about parents and children. Because parents and children have two different views. As a parent, you have a view of your child that your job is to help this child to mature and to grow into a productive adult. You also, if you are a Christian, have the idea that you need to teach your child about Jesus and about what following Jesus will mean in terms of character. You have a vision for your child. Your child has a different vision for their own life. Their vision has to do with them doing what they want. And so there is conflict that is natural. But to have peace in a parent-child dynamic is hard work. Peace is hard work in a church. We don't get to choose our brethren. And so we are all thrown together and we are different. We have different backgrounds. We have different skin tones. We have different political loyalties. We have different personalities. Conflict is natural. But to continue to work together to power through a problem, that takes work. This is the proverb. Proverbs 18 and verse 19. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. He says, when you try to win somebody back, when there is conflict, it's hard work to get back to peace. It's harder than taking down a city. So what God wants in a passage like 1 Peter 3 is for his people to have a passion for peace. He says, seek peace and pursue it. And he repeatedly tells us that we need to have this disposition that we are always seeking Peace. Can I show you that? This is Matthew 5, 9. You know, these are Jesus' words, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. James 3, 18. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Pursue peace with all people, Hebrews 12, 14. And then Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. But really, what I want to say, I think we know all of that. Yes, we should be a peaceful people. We should be making peace and pursuing peace. But these commands are about more than just being nice. He is not saying, be nice to people. There is something deeper that I want us to explore. When I say peace is hard work, I mean it's more than just being nice. Because there are some skills that we will need for that. And the other thing I really want to zero in on this morning is the idea that peace is somehow just our natural state. That, you know, if everything can just get back to normal, we can finally be at peace. And the only thing that happens is, you know, sometimes other people bring conflict into my life, and i got to fix it so I can get it back to normal, as if peace is our natural state. That is not the case. Our natural state is conflict. Peace must be pursued. And I want to talk about how we do that. I want to talk about the hard work that peace requires. And if we are not willing to put in the hard work, what we're going to notice is that peace will not just happen. It won't just happen in our marriages. It won't just happen in our friendships. It won't just happen at our workplace. It won't just happen with our children. And it won't just happen in the local church. Peace must be pursued. And I want to talk about how we do that. So first of all, we have to be willing to do a few things if we want to have peace and seek peace the way Jesus teaches us to. First, we have to be willing to communicate. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 5 here. Matthew 5. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. So what we're talking about when we talk about communication is not are we willing to say hello to each other, although that can be important. It is instead communicating about the deeper issues that come up in relationships. We need to be willing 
to pursue peace by talking about the hard issues that we have with the people we are in relationship with. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5 and verse 21. Matthew 5, 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So anger is the issue here. Jesus is addressing anger. And he says specifically, the way you get rid of anger and really deal with the the problem of anger is to talk about the issue. You don't let anger fester. And the urgency of Jesus' command is seen in the idea that you are bringing your gift to the altar. The gift would have been an animal that they are bringing to sacrifice on the altar. And he says, you leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother. In verse 23, he says specifically, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. So here the issue seems to be, I have hurt my brother in some way and I know it. And so I don't remember it for whatever reason, it's gone out of my mind. But even while I'm coming to worship, I remember that I, my brother has something against me. I have some, done something that has offended him in some way. He says, verse 24... Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So in the spirit of seeking peace, I go to him. And the implication when he says be reconciled is that I'm going to go to him and talk to him, not about everything else in the world, but about the thing that he has against me. The problem between us, the relationship that is in jeopardy. We are going to talk about it and we're going to talk about it now. That's hard work. You know that's hard work because if you've ever had a problem with anybody, which who of us hasn't, then you know it's hard to just actually sit down with them and say, I've got an issue. We have a problem. Let's talk about it. But Jesus says, this is what you need to do. If you want to get rid of anger, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want good relationships, you need to communicate. You have to talk about the problem. It will not be resolved if you don't talk about it. Turn the page over to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Matthew 18 and verse 15. Jesus says, Matthew 18, 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So here is the other side of the coin. Specifically, he says, if your brother sins against you. So remember Matthew 5, I have done something. In this case, my brother has done something. And it's not just something that bothers me or upsets me, although that's certainly worthy of talking about. It is instead, he has sinned against me. So what is Jesus' solution? What do I do? He says, go and tell him his fault. Go and communicate about the problem. And if that doesn't work, he says, you know, you take some more people with you. Eventually you tell the church, you communicate about it. But the goal here is not to start the process of withdrawal. Did you see what the goal is in verse 15? If he hears you, he says, you have gained your brother. The goal is to fix the problem. That's the goal. So we go and talk about it because that's how you fix problems. That's what relationships are about. We have a problem. We talk about the problem until the problem is resolved, until we can be reconciled. So please understand that peace 
is not about sweeping problems under the rug. It's not about pretending things are fine when we know they're not. It's not about saying, well, I just am going to convince myself this is not that big a deal. Jesus says the way you pursue peace is to communicate about the problem. You know what we do, though. We read those passages and we say, you know, Jesus is right about that. And then we completely ignore it. We don't talk about it. Or, in my experience, and I am also guilty, we talk to other people about it. So I'll call you and you and you and you and you and you and you, but I won't talk to you because, well, that's hard. It's hard work to actually say, here is the issue. Let's work through it. Let's talk about this. The truth is that we often care more about being right than we do about fixing the relationship. The truth is we often care more about who wins. You know, if I go to them and talk to them about it, then maybe they'll think I'm wrong and they're right. And so we say, you know what, I'm not going to do it. Sometimes I've had these conversations where I will say, you need to go talk to that person about it. And someone will say, oh, but they'll never listen. As if we know the future and we know people, or as if somehow that gets us off the hook with what Jesus says. This is, in my view, absolutely essential. And may I just remind you, I'm not giving relationship advice here. Jesus is. This is about Jesus. And we are servants and followers of Jesus. So when Jesus tells us to communicate, we need to communicate about the issue. I have to say, this is just for myself. This is a supreme challenge for me. I am the type of person that if I have a problem, I will swallow it and try and try to ignore it and forget about it, but of course it doesn't go away. You just get mad and mad and mad inside. But there was a point in my life where I realized I just had to listen to Jesus about this. And so what happened is my character changed where I became the kind of person who cannot not talk about it. And sometimes that's very annoying to people. I know that. Sometimes it's annoying to me too. But it has changed me where my relationships are no longer, you know the kind of relationships you have with some people where there's something kind of floating there and you're not sure why they're mad. You're not sure what's going on, but it's just not normal. I'm determined not to have that anymore. If we've got a problem, let's talk about the problem. If not, let's move on. Let's just communicate. Seeking peace is hard work because it means we have to be willing to talk it out. There is courage needed here, but Jesus calls us to it. The second thing that we need to pursue peace is that we must be willing to sacrifice. Let's go to Romans chapter 14. When I talk about sacrifice here, I mean giving up something that is valuable to us in the interest of peace. Romans 14 describes this. Now, Romans 14 is a section that describes how the Roman church was kind of cut up by differences of opinion about some things that really are not big deals before God, whether someone eats meat or eats vegetables or whether they keep a day or don't keep a day, and yet they were important to the Roman Christians. And the Roman Christians are dividing over it and judging one another over it. It made for a difficult situation. So I want you to listen. We're not going to study all of Romans 14 this morning. That's outside our purview. But I do want to read beginning in verse 14 of Romans 14, how Paul says you should deal with this problem. Romans 14, 14. 
I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So here are things that are perfectly fine. He says specifically, there is nothing unclean in itself, verse 14. So it's not as if this is a sin matter. You shouldn't do this or you should. It is instead a matter of judgment about how what I do is going to affect my brother. And Paul's advice, this is verse 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Specifically, you need to be willing to not do the things that it's okay for you to do. You need to be willing to sacrifice, to give it up. Do you love peace enough that you would give up things that are perfectly right for you to do for the sake of your brother? We're living in a time and we live in a nation that is focused on our rights. What rights do we have? It's my right to do this. You can't take away my right. What we're reading in Romans 14 is about things that people had a right to do that they are willfully forfeiting. They are giving up their right to eat, to do this, to observe this day. And they say, I am willing to do this for the sake of my brother. In a marriage, Paul's picture of what proper marital life looks like is a picture of sacrifice. Remember, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Sacrifice. And sacrifice also works the other way when he says to wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In both cases, husband and wife are giving something up. They are sacrificing for the good of the other. Are we willing to do that? So are we willing to forfeit our way, to concede, to not get to do the things we want to do, to not get to have the things we want to have, to not get our way in a certain situation? Are we willing to sacrifice something that is perfectly fine because we want peace? Or are we so determined to have our way that we are willing to sacrifice peace for our own will? Which is it? Because the spirit of truly pursuing peace involves sacrificing. Are we willing to say, my will is more important than this relationship? That's the question. The third thing we need, if we're going to do the hard work of peace, is we must be willing to accept wrong. You know, the passage we began in talked about don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. That's a hard Command, that's a hard idea. When people do us wrong, he says, you don't do wrong back. There has to be, on some level, a willingness to say, this is, this is wrong. They should not have done it. I don't deserve it. And yet I can accept it and move on. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6. There is a real life situation that uh, can give a little teeth to this in 1 Corinthians 6. 
what's going on here is that there are problems of difficulties between the brethren. And then, instead of being able to resolve their arguments personally or with other people in the church, they are taking their disputes before judges, before the, the courts, the secular courts. And so, Paul, Paul is getting on to them in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, well, how is it that there's nobody in the church that can help you decide between each other if you've got a problem? But I want you to notice what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 6. That's more of a root of the problem kind of thing. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 7, he says, 1 Corinthians 6, 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. In other words, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, you've already lost. It's already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. I want you to sit for a minute with that question. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why don't you rather be defrauded? Let's be clear. Paul is not saying, you know what, we should all get in these abusive relationships where people just constantly take advantage of us and we just say, oh, well, that's just my lot. But he is saying, there are times when in an argument you might lose. There are times when people might do you wrong. And there is a spirit that sometimes exists among us that says, I will not for the smallest moment let anyone ever take advantage of me. If anyone says anything they shouldn't say, they need to pay. If anyone ever tries to take anything of mine, I want it back. I want them punished. And that's what Paul is addressing. That spirit that says, everything that's ever done to me needs to be avenged and now. He says, why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather be defrauded? Which of those is more like Jesus. Instead, he says, no, you go out and you are actively wronging and defrauding each other. And you're even taking it to court. So, I understand that there are times when, when we don't need to accept wrong, we don't need to budge. There are matters of right and wrong where we say, no, I am, I'm standing here and this is the way it's going to be. And in the, it doesn't matter if we're not at peace anymore because I've got to stand on this issue. I understand that and I agree with that. But let's be honest. Most of the times, the arguments and the difficulties that we have with our mates, with our kids, with our brethren, with our coworkers, most of the time, those things are not about issues of morality. They're not about doctrinal differences. What are they about? They're about personal problems. You said this, I don't like that. You're, you're saying something ugly to me. You're doing something I don't think you should. And on and on we go. And we say, you know what? You can't do that to me. When we say we must have our vengeance, our pride is at play. So being willing to accept wrong and to let things go, to get over our hurt feelings, and to just be kind and compassionate to other people, that's the hard work of peace. But if we're going to lock every small slight in the vault, and we're going to bring it out every time, you know, you said this to me that one time, and I've just never gotten over it. If we're going to take everything the wrong way and turn our treatment of that person cold at the slightest difficulty, then peace is going to be extremely difficult, if not impossible. We will be the ones who are impossible to please because we can't accept the smallest bit of wrong from other people. Now that happens in marriages where every spat and every harsh word over time 
turns into this explosion of bitterness and hatred and you just say, wow, where did this all come from? That happens with children where a lifetime of resentment just bubbles up and comes out in a flash of rage. It happens in local churches where every little dust-up we've had with one of our brethren, every word that we took the wrong way, every time we said, I wonder what he means by that, then suddenly it comes together and we just say something like, you've never liked me. You've always been this way. And suddenly there's no peace anymore because we can't accept the smallest problem and move on. For the sake of our relationships, we have to learn to get over ourselves and accept wrong and let things go. That leads us to the idea that we must be willing to pick our battles. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. You guys have heard me talk about this before. I believe this is an essential and really a dying trait in the modern American world. The idea of discernment, distinguishing what is important from what is trivial. Not everything is worth the fight. Ephesians 4 and verse 1 says this. Ephesians 4 and verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Loving peace means only pursuing conflict when it is absolutely necessary. And I want you to see these words that we have just read, particularly in verse 2. He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we're going to pursue peace and keep that unity that the Spirit has created among us, it will require lowliness and gentleness and patience. We will have to bear with one another in love. So when we talk about long-suffering or patience, it means we're going to have to put up with each other, and that will produce peace. It tells us to bear with one another in love. I love that statement. Because it says that love is not always kind words and warm hearts and hugs. Sometimes love is bearing with each other. Just putting up with each other and moving forward. But there is also in this text the implication that that not everything can be put away with that, right? He talks about the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And in verse 4 to 6, he talks about what that unity is. And it is unity that we can't compromise on. It's not about humility. It's not about gentleness. It's just about these are the facts of the gospel. We believe these. We agree with these. This is how we have unity. So what you see then is there are some things about which it's vital that we have humility and gentleness and patience and bear with one another in love. And there are some other things that we can't bend on. We have to learn the difference. We have to be able to pick the battle and say, these are the things I'm going to fight for. These are the things I'm not. These are the things I'm going to get over. These are the things I'm going to forgive and move on. Bearing with one another in love says that there are times where we lay down our arms and say, this isn't worth it. I'm not going to lose my relationship just over something personal. And that's hard work. That distinguishing, that picking the battle, that saying, no, this is not a critical matter. We need it. We need that discernment, and it's hard work to find. Go with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. You 
you see this distinguishing need here in how Paul addresses Timothy. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22. It says, 2 Timothy 2, 22, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So I want you to notice that he says pursue peace in verse 22, that that is something that he is deliberately, intentionally to pursue. And that one of the key ways he does that in verse 23 is to stay away from certain arguments. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Not everything people want to argue about is worth it. Pick your battles, Timothy. And I think as a young preacher, a lot of things are going to be coming across Timothy's desk, so to speak. He's going to have a lot of opportunities to get involved in controversies and arguments. And Paul says, you be discerning because some things are foolish. Some things are unimportant. Some things are ignorant. Some things just breed quarrels. That's all they're there for. And you stay away. You pursue peace. Part of that is knowing when to stand and when to back off. Learn to pick your battles. I believe with all my heart that we need this skill in every relationship we have. We need it in our marriages. Have you ever had an argument with your spouse about something really, really dumb? In fact, usually it seems to be the dumb things we argue most about, right? What about, have you ever had an argument maybe at work about something that is so trivial that when you look back on it, Sometimes we even say that. We'll say, I don't even remember what that started about. Because it's usually something very small and unimportant. There are some local churches that have really small problems that end up dividing the church. People leave. Not over some major doctrinal issue. Not even over something that is done. Just over some small thing. I believe that in our time, we are losing the ability to distinguish between what matters and what doesn't when it comes to our disagreements. I have noticed this just in the last year or two, how there seems to be any issue, especially in politics, but also has to do with the virus and all the things that have gone along with that. Sometimes it has to do with churches in this new climate that we're in. But it is simply the idea that everything deserves a full-throated shout no matter what. If I disagree with you, I can't let it go. If I disagree with you about anything, the smallest thing, it doesn't matter. I cannot just let you have your say and me back off. I cannot pick my battles. I have no discernment at all. And it is a great loss when we can't tell what are gospel matters, what are essential matters, and what are not. And where that will play out when that attitude is brought to its full extent, where that will play out is in every relationship. It'll play out in our homes, it'll play out in our workplaces, and it'll play out in local churches. So, we need to ask the question, is this really worth it? The time, the effort, the emotional distress, the harm to the relationship, to fight over just everything? Or, do I need to pick my battles and wait for what really matters before I jeopardize the peace of the relationship. So loving peace and pursuing peace does not mean that we're weak and we get taken advantage of. It means we have wisdom. And we say there are times to stand and there are times to let things go. The last thing is we need to be willing to be peaceable. There is a spirit that peace requires that 
can help create and foster peace in any relationship. And he describes it here in 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse 24. 2 Timothy 2, 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So not only do we need the ability to, not pick, to pick our battles, but we can't pick fights and be called a peacemaker. That's why he says there in verse 24, you must not be quarrelsome. A quarrelsome person is not a peacemaker. They can't be. They're opposites. So if I'm going to pursue peace, I can't be quarrelsome. Sometimes we may notice that people argue with us a lot, and we get into lots of fights, and we usually think when that happens, man, all these people keep fighting me. Hmm, maybe peaceable is the problem. Maybe I'm the issue and not just everybody else. Don't be quarrelsome, he says. Instead, he says, be gentle to all. In verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Be patient, he says in verse 24. In humility, verse 25, correcting those who are in opposition. So here we have a set of terms that set our spirit and say our spirit is not one that is full of quarrels and condescension. It is instead a spirit of humility and patience and gentleness. And that disposition changes everything. Have you ever noticed that when someone says something in a kind and humble way, you take it differently? That we could hear the same message, but if someone is shouting at us or saying it in an abiding, sarcastic tone, we won't hear it. But when they say it humbly and kindly, we do. Now, if that's true for us, how much more true is that for the people we talk to? To be able to say, I want to be at peace, but there's some things here that we need to talk about. I don't talk about them because I've got it all figured out. I don't talk about them because I'm better than you. But I love you and I want to help this work. I want to be at peace. And that diffuses the tension between parents and children. Parents, if we're able to show humility and gentleness and patience in the way we correct our children, it diffuses conflict. If we're able to talk to our brothers and sisters this way, not to say, I've got it figured out and you need to change, but instead to say, in a gentle and patient and humble way, this is what I see as an issue. Can I help you? Can we work through this? There is a difference in tone that is so essential. And I want to say that should be a part of our character. That should be who we are. We should be a peaceable, kind, gentle, humble people anyway. So that when conflict comes and we have something we've got to deal with, we don't just say, oh, well, I guess I need to be peaceable now. It is instead the default for us. So we need to be willing to become peaceable people. And when we do, we may find peace comes much more easily and it follows us the way conflict used to. I want to look at one last passage in James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and sort of sum all of this up. In James chapter 4, I want to begin just, just reading here, James 4 and the first six verses. James 4 and verse 1 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, 
so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He begins this passage by asking a question in verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from? Why do we fight? Where's conflict come from? And then he answers this question. It's because we have passions within us that are at war. We have things we want that we don't want to seek in God's ways. We want to seek them in our own ways. And so we go through all of this tension and conflict with each other because we don't seek the things God offers from God. And the passage goes on to talk about humility. And that's verse 6 where he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we have wars and fights among us, the root problem is right here. It's all about our pride. We want our things. We want our way. We want our pleasures. We want to serve ourselves and not other people and not God. It's about us. The pride that says, you know what, they need to come to me. If they've got a problem, they come see me. Instead of saying, well, Jesus says, I need to go to them and communicate. The pride that says, but I want my way instead of being willing to sacrifice. The pride that says, I must have vengeance when other people wrong me. The pride that says, I don't want to let this important thing go or this unimportant thing go. And so I don't want to pick my battles. I just want to fight about everything because I always want to be right. The pride that says, I don't want to be gentle and patient and humble with that person because that's not going to win. I want my way. That pride, wherever it goes will be the enemy of peace in every relationship. We must not sacrifice our relationships for the sake of our pride. So just imagine, if we could really do the hard work of peace, think about just the people in this room. Just think about what we could do. Think about the relationships that could be transformed if we would communicate and sacrifice and accept wrong and pick our battles and be peaceable people. Think about the divorces that we could eliminate. Think about the children who could grow up in a peaceful home and then go off and establish their own peaceful home. Think about the testimony of a local church working together having our times where we bump elbows with each other, but we work through them and we stay together. And so we grow and we grow spiritually and we grow numerically. And this community sees the power of a unified church. Think about what we can do when we actually follow God's blueprint for peace. Now, that's hard work. But peace is hard work. It's not our natural state. It's not something that comes just because we're nice. It is instead something we must deliberately pursue. Would you pray with me about that? Our God and Father, we thank you so much for this good time that we have had together in your word. We're thoughtful, Father, about our relationships this morning. We're so thankful that you have shown us 
who we really are and what we really need. We pray, Father, for the courage to do what is required to have healthy and strong relationships with our fellow man, to love one another as ourselves. Father, we pray for the courage that we need to communicate. We pray, Father, for the wisdom that we need to choose what things need to be fought about and what things need to be let go. We pray, Father, for wisdom so that we don't end up in relationships that are abusive and dangerous, but instead we seek to follow the example of Jesus And we need your wisdom and your discernment in that. Father, we pray that you'll give us a heart that's willing to sacrifice for the people that we love and willing to give up our way in the pursuit of what is right, what is best for the relationship. Father, I pray that you will help us to be the kind of people who make peace wherever we go, that instead of conflict following us, peace will follow us. And I pray that you'll bless this local church as we work together, as we have conflicts from time to time, that we can follow your example and the example of your son, that we will be peacemakers. Father, we thank you for teaching us. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for saving us. And we pray that you'll help us to continue to grow in your way. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the invitation. This is the time that we have set aside for those who have a special need, whether for the first time to become a child of God by putting on Jesus in baptism. And if you're ready to do that, this is a time for you to come and let us know about that, and we can do that this morning. Or if you have a need that we can help you with or something we can pray with you about, please come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.